Hello, and welcome to our ninth episode of Biblical Brainstorm, the Seth and Chandler podcast. Obviously, you can see Seth is not here. Um, he did a Facebook Live with you guys yesterday. Um, him and his family are on vacation. So for this episode, it'll just be me. Uh, so it'll probably be a little bit shorter. Uh, I'm just going to go through the book of Jude, kind of close that off uh, for us today. I know we tackled that together when we were in Florida um, for our first kind of in-person episode. Um, part one and so jude again jude only has one chapter so we're going to do chapter one or chapter one part two today and finish it off uh and then next week we are going to begin with uh, a couple episodes on the apocrypha and so if you guys if you don't know what the apocrypha is well stay tuned next week we'll explain it um you know all that old testament apocrypha new testament apocrypha uh, that'll be pretty good. And we kind of covered a little bit of like a segue to it last week with how the book of Jude uh, quotes from other sources, from apocryphal sources, meaning, you know, sources outside of the Bible, uh, like the Assumption of Moses and like the book of Enoch and stuff like that. So, again, we'll talk about more about that uh, next week. But today I just wanted to give you guys um, a little bit of an encouraging word, um, kind of a not devotional in a sense, but I want to point out some cool things that we didn't touch on last week of Jude and also just kind of give us a encouraging word. Um, so, yeah, let us jump in. Uh, the way today is going to work um, is I'm going to just share a little bit about this, Jude, and then also at the end uh, do kind of like a little bit of Q&A since it's just me and, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, missed the interaction, you know. So if you guys have any questions for me on the book of Jude when I cover a few things uh, digging through it, or just about me personally, then, you know, feel free to pop it in the chat there and I'll pull it up and try to answer. So um, I'm also a little bit under the weather if you, you know, so if I look or sound a little bit off, that's why. So a little bit sick, but uh, we're going to, I'm going to push through and do good. So uh, I'm going to start by reading the book of Jude again, because it's a short, uh, short book, short chapter. So, and then I'll kind of break it down a little bit. So, if you guys have your Bibles or have the book of Jude, you can follow along with me. got mine right here that I'll read from. So, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in, unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but uh, left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. 
But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Kor's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless, uh, before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now, uh, before you know, all time and now and forever. Amen. All right. So that's a, that's a pretty good doxology at the end as well. That's a, that's a good way to end a, you know, a service if you guys ever preach one day or it's like, you know, just read the end of Jude. It's a pretty good way to end a book. Um, so, first thing, observation here, Jude, right? Who is Jude? He says he's a servant of Jesus Christ um, and a brother of James. So, immediately, the identification is, well, if James is the brother of Jesus, um, well, then, and, and Jude is the brother of James, well, then, by logic, right, Jude is the brother of Jesus. But it's interesting because it's almost like he gives this kind of, like, he's not worthy or... Uh, you know, this, this vibe of where I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, where he easily could have said I'm a brother of Jesus uh, and kind of given himself that step of authority, right? I'm the brother of Jesus, so listen to what I say. Um, but I'm a, he says I'm a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. Who is a, a brother of Jesus? Um, and so we also know this from Scripture as well. And Matthew 13, 55, and I put it on the screen here, uh, it says, Is this not the carpenter's son, speaking of Jesus, is not his mother called Mary, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So Judas, this is Jude. So um, it comes from the same root Hebrew word of Judah, Judah. Um, so Judas comes from Judah, Jude comes from Judah, um, you know, the, the Hebrew name. So same guy. So this guy, Jude, Judas, Judah, whatever you want to call him, uh, he is the one writing this book, this small little book right before Revelation, uh, and he is the brother of Jesus, or you could say half-brother, or however you want to kind of reconcile that. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, and also, we see this in Mark uh, 6.3 as well. It says, is, this not, uh, is, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and, aka Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So obviously, Jesus had other brothers and sisters. 
Um, Mary was not the only, um, or did not, you know, was not only a virgin. Um, well, she was not continually a virgin, you could say, after Jesus. So she had other kids. So after Jesus, she was a virgin before giving birth to Jesus. Afterwards, uh, well, her and Joseph had other kids. So that is, you know, that is that. Many, many brothers and sisters. And one of them is James, who wrote the book of James. And the other one is Judas, who wrote this book that I just read. So, or this letter, um, you know, better stated, which is pretty cool. Uh, I kind of feel sorry for, you know, Joseph and, and Simon. I, I guess they never decided to write a book. Um, you know, that's that's interesting. They're also brothers of Jesus. I wonder what their story is. But, um, you know, it's kind of interesting that, James and Jude wrote books, and both of the books are kind of similar in some ways. And so maybe when we go through the book of James, we'll kind of, you know, cross-reference and show you guys a lot of the parallels uh, there, which is pretty cool. So might have been something that they grew up hearing about and learning about. So, like, these familiar themes about, you know, don't being, not being stained by sin, and et cetera. So I think that's pretty cool. All right. Let me put in our this in real quick. Yep, it is the ninth episode, Jude 1 Part 2. I'm excited. All right. Also, you guys can leave comments. Um, you know, it's kind of a little different now. You know, I don't have uh, Seth to bounce off of you know, for, for conversations. So, you know, you guys can always help me out and, uh, and interact here. That, you know, that's greatly appreciated. But I'll just kind of dig through. So that's the first observation. Jude is a brother of Jesus, and James, who is, again, another brother of Jesus, so it's pretty interesting. Um, I also, um, you know, this whole idea of perpetual virginity within the Catholic Church, that isn't, you know, that isn't a debunk to that, uh, what I was saying earlier. So, obviously, Jesus had other brothers and sisters, but that's, you know, Catholics know that. <laughs> like, or at least educated ones. So I'm sure you you might find a Catholic that's like, what? I didn't know that Mary had other kids. But uh, there is this, you know, this idea of this perpetual virginity, this you know, purification, or you know, that like, you know, spirit in a spiritual sense that, yeah, kind of Mary retains some level of virginity. But yeah, that's that's different than uh, than you know, the actual act of her having other kids with Joseph. So just wanted to clarify that. So, yeah. Oh, this is good. Explain Kor's rebellion. So I'll get to that. Um, I'll, I'll break it down kind of verse by verse in a second, but that is a good question. We did touch on this last episode talking about Kor's rebellion, but I'll mention it again as well. Um, that's, you know, it's definitely an, an interesting part of that. Like, don't, don't be one who rejects authority, which it also states here. So um, next observation. So to those who are called beloved in God, the father, right? So who are the beloved? This is the church. These are the Christians, right? These are the believers um, who are kept for Jesus Christ. And he kind of gives them a blessing. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And then beloved, again, talking to us, right? This group, uh, although is very eager to write to you about a common salvation. Like, I, I, you know, he's almost saying, I would love to write just really good, you know, encouraging things, you know, just talking about our salvation, the hope that we have, the hope of heaven, the eternal life, the cross, the resurrection, the gospel, you know, Jesus, our common salvation, the, you know, good things, right? Things above, not on things on earth, you know, all this stuff. But I love how he just kind of stops it in his tracks and it's like, you know, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, but I found it necessary 
to write appealing to you, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So again, there's just strong language there. Like you just, I have to uh, contend, like tell you, encourage you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Um, so yeah, I mean, this part of what does it mean to this faith delivered? What is this faith that Jude is talking about? Um, that is delivered to us, right? And um, it's here, and I have this cross-reference here, it's pretty interesting, it refers to the work accomplished by Jesus' death and resurrection, and it has a comparative note with Galatians 120, uh, 123, um, and it also has a uh, cross-reference to Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1. so I'm going to read Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 here. And it says, although God spoke long ago in many parts and in many ways to the fathers by the prophets, in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. Again, Jesus, right? So this is the faith, right? That was once for all delivered to the saints, whom he has, he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who is the radiance of his glory and the representation of his essence, right? This divine essence sustaining all things by the word of power when he had made purification for sins through him he which is the, again the cross he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high which is god the father having become uh, by so much better than the angels by as much as he has inherited a more excellent name than theirs right and so if you read the whole book of hebrews even when we get to hebrews 11 where it says by faith Right, uh, we know yada yada yada. It's like the, what is the faith that Paul is talking about? And it's not just belief. It's not just blind belief of like you know have you know faith is all things is the assurance of things hoped for. Well, what faith is the assurance of all things hoped for? It's not just you believing and hoping for things. And it, it, the faith, you know, contextually in in Hebrews, the the faith and the same the faith that Jude referenced here, the faith that was delivered to the saints, this is the gospel. This is the, you know, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the salvation. This is, again, Hebrews 1, God who, Jesus who made purification for sins, sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, who is holding all things by the word of his power, who is reconciling the world to him. I mean, this is, yeah, that, that, this, this is the faith. So, I mean, we know this, you know, Christianity is, is, you know, our faith, right? Um, so it's very important to kind of, you know, even though we know that it's like, that, that's exactly what Jude is talking about here. What is this faith that is delivered to us? Well, it's again, the gospels or, or salvation. It's, it's, you know, our, our common hope, right? It's, uh, so basically he, he encourages these believers to contend for this faith, right? And who, and who's the saints? Once we're all delivered to the saints. And I know that kind of sounds like an interesting word. It's like, well, saints, is there any saints? Who's, who's, who's the saints, right? Um, and here's a good cross-reference here. Actually, I think I have it here. Uh, yeah. So Paul also uses this term. And who does he uh, put it in reference to? So including you. So the, the people he's talking to, believers, Christians, you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, right? Because saints, right? This is, you know, holy, santos, you know, if you know Spanish, it's, it's set apart, it's holy, holy ones. So um, 
this idea that we are called to be holy. We are the Christians. We are the believers. We are the saints, right? We are the ones who are called to be saints. We are called by Jesus Christ to do his work. So this faith that was delivered once for all to the saints, this is to us, right? This is to believers. This is to those who, you know, what we are becoming. So I just love that. Encouraging, you know, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. So here's, here's the key. Why are we contending for this faith? For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So this is, uh, you know, we see this where people uh, come to the church and they only start, they only cause division, right? <laughs> like this is, people are creeping in to the faith and they are disrupting it, right? They're, they're perverting and you see false teachers. Jesus calls this out, like false teachers who are, who bear no fruit, who their lifestyle doesn't reflect what they say. And, you know, this, this kind of perverting of the gospel into sensuality. And we talked about that uh, last week as well, me and Seth, you know, this, this kind of perversion of the grace of God, uh, you know, and, and just this acceptance of sin and all that. So I won't get into that too deeply. Um, you know, you guys can always watch previous episode, but yeah, this is, it's so important. Why do we contend? Because it's under attack. This faith that was delivered to us and was a, this accomplished work of Jesus, it's under attack by the world, by people who are creeping into the church, right? Um, so, I mean, that's this is why we have to be careful as well. So, um, oh, let me get some questions here real quick. So, is Jude referenced in 1 Corinthians uh, 9, 5 when it's talking about Jesus' siblings taking missionary journeys? Or is it scripture referencing Jude? Well, it's most scholars believe uh, with certainty that Paul was written before Jude, um, at least with that's what the textual evidence suggests. So it's most likely Jude, um, you know, kind of referencing like the other way around. But it might not be a reference at all specifically to the book of Jude. Um, let me actually pull. 1 Corinthians 9 here. See what to get a closer look. Let's see. 1 Corinthians 9 5. Okay, do we. Do, do, do. Okay, do we not have the right to take along a believer? Wait. First Corinthians nine five. Oh, believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord. Oh, okay, yeah, and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. So the question is here: Is Jude referenced in? Oh, so you were talking about Jude the person, not the book of Jude. That makes more sense. Okay, so um, yeah, I mean, if if Jude had a wife, then he would have been included in this ca this category here of the one who is, uh, you know siblings of the lord right so i think uh you know our brothers of brothers of the lord and cephas so i think probably james especially since james was remaining in jerusalem and he was you know kind of head of the church of jerusalem so i'd imagine that he's definitely in in uh urban reference here jude we don't know a lot about <laughs> as you know he's not as mentioned 
So you could, I'd probably more confidently say that the sibling here in 1 Corinthians 9.5 is James, but since it's plural, it could also be talking about his other brothers, including Jude. So I think it's pretty interesting that, you know, Jude could be have been referenced here in 1 Corinthians and also have had wife. So um, you see one of the similes being referenced is what I mean. Yeah, so I think so. Um, we know, like I said, from the other scripture pulled up here, that he did have he did have brothers and we know their names james joseph simon and judas and jude again is you know slash judas judah he's the one uh he's one of the brothers and he's the one who wrote this book so um he could have had a wife and he could have been referenced by um you know paul here when when talking about that with the believers you know it's like right to take a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the lord and cephas so, and Cephas, of course, being Peter. So, yeah, I, I think it's very plausible that, you know, Jude is in reference here. Um, it's, you know, probably more probably James, but again, it, it's probable that all four of these brothers might have gotten married at some point. So, yeah. But cool, yeah, point, cool pointing that out. I've actually, like, I've read First Corinthians a couple times, but I've never actually caught that part you know, there. So that that's, you know, keen eye there. So it's pretty interesting. But yeah. So, all right, where was I? I was um, delivered. Yeah, contending for the faith. Why? Because people are creeping into the church, right? This is not not, not good. So uh, this word contend, this is, this is the interesting part, right? So what, what do you guys think of when you think contend, right? And maybe you can answer here or just kind of rhetorically saying contending is, is like this, this fighting for something. Right. And what's interesting is this Greek word here for contend. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm not great at Greek. I don't know. I, I don't, you know, pretend to know Greek. Um, so I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, but the word is epigonizamoi. My Right. So again, for anybody who knows Greek in the audience, you could probably help me with the pronunciation with that. But this word contend that is used here, this one word, the single word epigonizamoi uh, in Jude is only used once. So this is one occurrence, only one occurrence in the book of Jude uh, or in the whole Bible. And it's, it's in the book of Jude, which is pretty interesting. So no other book uh, in the Bible uses this word, which is uh, interesting. And so what does it mean? So it, it means just that. It means to fight. It means to to struggle. It means to contend, right? So it's, again, a good translation there. Uh, and there's a cross-reference for this for uh, 2 Timothy, which talks about, or 1, Corinthians, or 1 Timothy 6.12, which says, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then he goes on to say, I command you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and Christ Jesus who testifies the good confession before Pontius Pilate. And, you know, it goes through, through that. Um, so, again, you see this common theme with Paul and Jude here with this contending, this fighting the good fight, fighting for the faith. And what is the faith? We already talked about that in the gospel or common salvation, all that stuff. So we, as believers, need to be fighting, need to be contending for this faith, not passively, like, you know, just letting the world be the world. We need to fight for this faith. 
Uh, why? Yeah, because he says, people, for certain people are creeping in unnoticed into the church, right? Who are perverting the grace of God in this sensuality. I mean, that's that's so like I see it so much today. It's so crazy because you know, if, if anything's going to destroy the church, it's not the outside world because the church has endured persecution century after century after century, and it still survived, it still spread. Like Tertullian said, like the the gospel spreads. Uh, like the the blood of martyrs is the the seed for you know Christianity basically. It's the more you kill us, the more it grows. Uh, and so the outside the world can't persecute the church to extinction. It's not going to happen. The, the outside world cannot defeat the church. It cannot defeat the gospel. But what the enemy tries to do is to make is to pervert the message. It's to creep inside the church. It's like, you know, Jesus said, and also Abraham Lincoln famously kind of plagiarized, that a house divided against itself cannot stand, right? If if the church is divided, if the gospel is perverted, then that is the only way that the church can be rendered ineffective. Uh, and so that is, that you know, it's so important for that. And... I mean, this comment, this comment is kind of along those lines. Is contending for the faith meaning to uphold sound doctrine? Partly, yes. And partly, it's also to embody what it means to be a Christian. Because as you keep going down, you know, who are these these people that are creeping in? It, you know, it says people who indulge in sexual morality and pursued a natural desire. Uh, people who, yet in like manner, relying on their dreams. Who defile the flesh. Who reject authority. Uh, which goes back to the other comment, what's Core's Rebellion? Core's Rebellion, and maybe, you know, I'll mention again when we get down there. Core's Rebellion was uh, this guy, Korah, who rebelled against Moses, trying to basically um, get, like, make a coup, right? Who's trying to split the, you know, the Hebrews here, you know, Israel, to, you know, under his leadership. So he's like, hey, I'm, le you know, Moses isn't doing a great job. I feel like I can be a better leader and kind of leads this rebellion. So rejecting authority. Right, so that that's part of that. Um, rejecting authority and blaspheming the glorious ones. That's also here, and you keep going to some of these false teachers, and all the way in the end, um, you know, ungodly who, following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage, <laughs> like so many of these these categories here. Um, you know, grumblers, malcontents. That again, this is. So it's not just upholding sound doctrine, which is, that's a big part of it. And Paul talks about that uh, to Timothy. Uh, you know, he, he writes to Timothy in his two letters about, you know, upholding sound doctrine. And, but Jude, we should fight for this faith, contend for this faith, because per certain people are coming into the church, perverting the message, perverting, you know, causing divisions. And, you know, it even says that later in Jude. Um, you know, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Love of God. So it's not, it's upholding sound doctrine, but it's also this, you know, this embodiment, you living, you not being a part of this category. If all believers lived not like, you know, like they were supposed to, right? That they're not malcontents, they're not rejecting authority, they're not um, giving into sexual morality, they're not following their own godly passions, they're not grumblers, they're not malcontents, etc. 
you know, this is what the church is supposed to be. We're not supposed to be those people because the worldly people creeping in, that's what they're characterized by. And so contending for the faith uh, is both a, a, you know, from a message standpoint and intellectual standpoint, you know, sound doctrine, but also this kind of orthopraxy where we're supposed to, you know, be the church. We're supposed to live like the church is supposed to live. Right. And so this is this is the fighting um, part. Uh, and, you know, it kind of reminded me, you know, I'm kind of a little bit of a Marvel fan. So it reminded me of, I don't know if you guys seen Avengers Endgame, uh, you know, big famous movie, Avengers Endgame. Um, you know, I'm even wearing the Captain America shirt kind of, uh, rep, you know, representing. Because I, I got this thought of, you know, if you watch the movie Endgame, there, there, there's this resolve, there's this fighting to to undo what Thanos did, right? And so there's this line, famous line in the movie of whatever it takes, and they all repeat it. It's like, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. You know, it's like, we got to get the stones, we got to make things right, whatever it takes. Uh, even to where one of the characters, you know, two of the characters die. They sacrifice themselves because, you know, they have to make things right, whatever it takes. This is the type of resolve that that Jude is talking about, whatever it takes. Contend for the faith. Like, I wanted to write to you guys about a common salvation, but I write, I wrote instead to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend, contend, contend. Fight for it. Fight for the faith, the true faith. Not the perverted faith, not the... You know, unsound doctrine, faith, the true faith that was delivered to us, the, the saints, the, the, you know, the church. This is whatever it takes. Um, you know, th that's what we should do. And I know people kind of have this pessimistic outlook, especially in the end times. And so, um, you know, there's a variety of views on Revelation and in times. And, you know, we, we get worried about the Antichrist. And it's like, oh, we know the world's going uh, you know, to hell in a handbasket anyway. It's it's going, you know, it's going everything's going down, everything's getting worse, right? We just kind of get this laid back approach. But it reminded me of this this uh quote here I'm pulling up. It says, Imagine if our Christian view of the end times was centered on preparing for Christ rather than the Antichrist, centered on the mark of the Lamb rather than the beast, centered on preparing for redeeming the earth rather than escaping it, centered on hope rather than fear. Uh, and both are true, and both are in Revelation, the, these things, these themes. But it seems like one of these themes is the one most talked about. Like, there's two marks. There's the mark of the Lamb and the mark of the beast. And I almost never hear about the mark of the Lamb in any sermon. It's always the mark of the beast and, you know, these conspiracy theories and everything. And, like, the world is, is getting worse. And, and I understand that there is a truth to that. There is an Antichrist. There is an end times. There is all this. But... There, there is this sense where this contending for the faith, and when Jesus comes back, he will make all things right. Like, he will judge, and even Jude says this, he will judge all the ungodly, <laughs> you know, uh, that have committed all these ungodly, you know, ungodly things. He's, there's going to be a judgment. But when Jesus comes back, he's going to make things right. And so what, are, what is our job as a church? It's, it's to prepare the way of Christ. It's to share the gospel. It's to get as many people, you know, in relation, right relationship with Jesus as possible. So this is this is the contending, and part of that is preserving the true faith, like Jude is saying. We need to preserve the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And we need to contend. We need to fight for it. This, you know, this resolve. This whatever it takes. You know, Avengers Endgame style. Whatever it takes, we need to fight for this faith. Um, 
And coming here, like Paul's analogy of fighting, this form of contending is not flesh and blood aggression, right? Uh, yeah, I would I would think that's along the the right lines. Um, some people in history have interpreted it as literal fighting, and you see kind of uh, you know things like the Crusades and things like you know we need you know uh, it, it, at least in the case of the Crusades, you know Islam was taking over the the Eastern Church, and the Eastern Church was sent out a call to the West and the and the Pope and saying fight for us deliver the church of the east obviously it went horribly um you know the crusades didn't really work out as planned but this this kind of call to fight for you know the church to you know not let the um you know us be the church be taken over by other you know other people groups other religions right um you know and, and we see kind of how that worked out but i i would say yeah this is this is along the right lines this this not it's not necessarily a flesh and blood thing it's a fighting um for you know like not just a spiritual fight because there's also a practicality of what we are supposed to do and accept and not accept but this isn't like you know this isn't the let's go to war type of thing uh obviously peter tried to cut off the soldier's ear and jesus was like oh here the healed the ear we don't do things like this anymore uh and so that's you know, I would say this is along the right trajectory. Um, and even back to the Crusades example, it reminds me of, you know, like <laughs> they were so worried, like with the Crusades example, that, you know, Islam was taking over the Eastern Church. Um, and, you know, literally through war, they were trying to, del you know, deliver them, fight in that, in that sense. But if you go back centuries earlier, the uh, pagan, you know, Germans, uh, tribes literally took over Rome and, and sacked it and just crippled it and took it over Christian Rome at the time. Um, and what's funny is instead of Rome becoming pagan, these new uh, Germans <laughs> became Christian. So like, even though these, the Vikings and, you know, these Germanic peoples and the Vandals and the Goths and, you know, Visigoths, all these things, they, they came and took over Rome uh, they essentially, you know, took over the West per se. They actually just became Christian. So again, it, it goes back to what I said: is that the outside world cannot, you know, you can't persecute the church to extinction. Like even the people that are trying to end the gospel, they end up just getting, you know, a lot of them just end up getting converted. So it's just crazy because you look at history, even with that example is there's never been an empire that has successfully, um, you know, squashed Christianity militarily. Uh, that, you know, it, it, Christianity is such a potent force that no matter who, where it is, or what people group is there, uh, it just makes change. And people all around the world are becoming Christians. And it's the most diverse religion in that regard, because in Asia and Africa and Europe and the Americas, North and South, uh, there's a big percentage of Christians there. You know, it, it's just reflective of, of you know, in the world. So, yeah, you can't stop the church um, through flesh and blood. And I think in the same vein, you can't really, um, you can't really save the church through, like, fighting in flesh and blood. So this is both a spiritual fight, but it's also a, a practical living it out day-to-day fight uh and even in the church you know what what do we accept and what do we not accept well we we shouldn't accept 
these these things of perverting the gospel into sensuality um you know again sound doctrine is a part of that so i think yeah all, all these you see all these themes of and this, this is where the encouragement part is for for you guys listening is you know don't just take a laid back approach don't say that the world is getting worse and america is getting worse and the you know it is what it is but i really want to give you this call of jude you know 2000 years later and say hey contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints like the true faith the real faith not the perverted faith not the popular christianity faith not the you know american conservative christianity not the woke christianity not the any other type of christianity the real true christianity the real gospel that was once for all delivered to the saints this is what we should be fighting for and so don't give up don't you know don't don't let just sit by and let let it happen uh you know this is this is an active participation for all believers to continue to fight for the faith um yeah, great takeaway line. It is impossible for Christianity to be persecuted to extinction. Powerful loss. Yep, that is that is true. You cannot stop the church. So um, that's most of what I have today. I'm going to kind of um, pick a few points up here as we continue to go down. So that was the big thing today, though, is contending for the faith. That was once for all delivered to the saints. Um, you know, people are perverting it, and then he kind of gives a warning to the church. He says, you know, I want to remind you now that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left the proper dwelling. And th this is where he talks about Genesis six and, you know, the angels ascend all that. And we talked about that last week. So this whole Genesis six, the Sodom and Gomorrah, the sexual morality, you know, the angels ascend Genesis six, uh, Genesis 11 stuff. We talked about that last week. We mentioned it. So if you guys didn't catch that, um, you know, catch, go back to, to last week part one um so i'll just kind of skip that today um and so then again going in like manner reject you know relying on the dreams to find the flesh reject authority that goes back to course rebellion which we're talking about and blessing the glorious ones and then we mentioned this with the whole archangel michael the contending with the body of moses uh this what or disputing about the body of moses we talked about that last week as well with the assumption of moses apocrypha again next week we're tackling the apocrypha so i'll skip that part again and so um, it says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. So going, uh, let me see, get the reference here. So walking in the way of Cain. And we again, we, we actually tackled these three things and we read Korah's rebellion and talked about Balaam's heir last week as well. But just as a quick summation here, um, the, put the hair. Yeah, the way of Cain, which is obviously Cain's pride, which resulted in violence leading to murder and ultimately defined judgment. So, and this this pride, this this um, jealousy, um, you know that that led to Cain Cain's demise in Genesis four. Uh, the heir of Balaam, obviously a false prophet who spoke against God's people. So even though he wouldn't. You know, we talked about the story last week. He wouldn't necessarily directly prophesy against Israel and instead bless them. And the king got mad. But he instead told the king the weakness of Israel and, and what to do and enticing them into sexual morality, etc. And so uh, to kind of make Israel fall and stumble. So that, that you know, again, goes back to the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing, angels thing. So do not entice others to sexual morality. Don't engage in it. 
um, you know, that it's really bad. So don't be among those people. Uh, and then the rebellion of Korah. So Korah, again, he perished after rebelling against God's appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron. The false teachers likewise rebelled against um, God's appointed leaders, the apostles. So Jude is making a connection between Korah and his rebellion against Moses and Aaron and these new these people that are creeping into the church who are perverting, you know, who are rejecting the authority and going back again, it says, um, you know, verse eight, who defile the flesh, reject authority. So you don't want to be a part of, of that, um, you know, category of, you know, maybe you don't like the pastor of your church. Maybe you feel like you can do a better job, all this stuff. You know, what you don't want to do is cause a church split. What you don't want to do is be like Cora and like Jude is talking about being a part of these category of people that cause divisions and creep into the church and are unhelpful and following their own passions and simple desires. So, yeah, do not do not do that and discourage others from doing that. And th again, this should not be in the church, causing divisions, rejecting authority. Now, this doesn't mean doing everything, you know, blindly that a pastor or a leader says to you. Obviously, this is to be taken to the word. But there's a difference between wisdom and then saying, you know what, you're wrong and causing rebellion and division. So don't be a part of that category. So that's, again, that's Core's Rebellion. And I love these other things here. So this is, it's kind of these metaphor uh, things. Core's Rebellion, these are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees and laid on them, toys set, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Wow. I mean, that is just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is any of those analogies, you know? And so it's it's really interesting because the first one is um, these are hidden reefs at your love feast. So what is that, like this hidden reef? And so when a boat would come to shore, if you have these hidden reefs that are, you know, that are tearing up your boat, that's not good, right? You're trying to, you know, you're, you're getting the, a boat, you know, in his direction or, or you know, the shore and all of a sudden you have these hidden reefs that are that are rendering this this vessel in, ineffective in some way or or damaging it don't be that and so he's likening these people creeping in the church to hidden reefs you know as you're sailing the ocean blue these hidden reefs that are that are underwater that you can't see are causing problems that are they're causing damage right so hit these hidden reefs he says, at your love feast. Now, what is the what is a love feast? So, a love feast in the ancient world, uh, shared meals were significant social events. And obviously, you have this, you know, this type of culture here, this family culture. Um, shared meals were significant social events. Feasts were held for various celebrations and helped bring people together for a common purpose. Um you know, I see this, this is a less American thing, but, you know, I, I see see this in Hispanic culture. You know, I went to Argentina, and, of course, my wife's family is Hispanic, and, you know, they'll throw a party over anything. It's, it's like, you know, anything to get everybody together and, and share a meal and, you know, have a party. So, th again, this is common in the ancient world. It's pretty cool. You know, you, people who share a meal over a common goal and purpose. And the early church, um, that's how they met. You know, if we see in Acts 2, they uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, they broke bread together, had a meal, 
And so this was kind of the early church services where people eating together and this, you know, the small groups, um, people meeting in house churches. This was, you know, this is what they were doing. They were sharing meals, common in the ancient world. So in Christian circles, this included celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so obviously that how we, you know, why we celebrate church on Sundays as well. We go, that's the first day of the week. It's when they met. It was the resurrection of, of Jesus. And so they're sharing meals together on this day. They have this kind of last supper, this, this Passover thing, which is, uh, you know, Passover is Jewish converted to this now Christian, um, you know, last supper, this the communion. Uh, yeah. Which was a whole meal. So, and now it's usually rendered to just a cup and a, and a piece of bread and, and a service to remember um, but, you know, in the ancient world, this was like a feast. This was, you know, people eating a meal together, a whole meal um, in, in kind of honor of, of Jesus and, and what he did. So it's interesting because these hidden reefs in your love feast. So people that are literally in your home, you know, that are chill, that are breaking bread with you. You know, it's kind of like Judas, right? It's like the one who's just going to betray you in the end. He's very close, but. You know, he's he's trying to, you know, in the end, he's he's not he's there to cause division. Right. He's not helpful. So some some of these other last ones here. So uh, your love feast is the feast with your fear shepherds feeding themselves. So imagine if you're a shepherd over some sheep uh, and instead of taking care of the sheep, you're taking care of yourself and you don't really provide for them and you don't lead them into good pastures. And you instead uh, take the food and, and provisions and care only about yourself. This is not a good shepherd. And so he likens, you know, pastors, shepherds. That's what a pastor is. That's a shepherd. Uh, you know, the, if you have shepherds who are feeding themselves and not the sheep, that's a bad sign. These are people that shouldn't be in the church, right? They are the, there to cause division. And so waterless clouds, meaning valueless Right, so this is, uh, you know, but what is clouds carried away by winds? The words of the false teachers are valueless. So, and there's also comparative notes. Second Peter references this. So, yeah, it, obviously you have a cloud, and it doesn't really do anything, right? Maybe it blocks some sun. You know, it's not really that useful. But uh, you know, a, a water-filled cloud is what can bring life. It can give rain to the fields. It can actually be useful, right? And so a waterless cloud that's just swept along by the winds is not really useful. And so the, you know, people's teachings that, again, are valueless, um, that's the type of people that, again, Jude is warning us about that are keeping in the church, that are saying things of no value, right, that aren't useful. Um, fruitless trees in late autumn. So... Obviously, light autumn is when everything's supposed to be, you know, good. <laughs> like, you know, spring, everything comes up, you know, and you plant. And, and so uh, if, if, if basically there's no fruit to show for anything, um, again, this is this, is this uh, you know, the whole not bearing fruit idea. You don't want to be, you know, we want to bear fruit. Jesus talks about this being the vine. We he is the vine, we are the branches, we connect it to him, we produce fruit, uh, et cetera. So that, again, that's, that we want to bear fruit. People who are not bearing fruit, Jesus said he will cut off. Uh, you know, again, that's that's the people that are creeping in the church. That's the category we do not want to be in. And so I, I love this part, twice dead, uprooted. So what is a late autumn 
fruitless tree that is twice dead uprooted. What does that even mean? And so in the ancient world, what's interesting is in late autumn, fruit is gathered, uh, which implies that the false teachers are not offering anything productive, but twice dead and uprooted. So tree, trees bearing no fruit would first be declared dead and then uprooted in the ancient world, making them only useful as firewood. Yeah. This just goes right in hand with um, Jesus's analogy of what I was just referencing with every tree that does not bear fruit is cut off and, you know, thrown into the fire. So this is, yeah, I mean, you can kind of make, see that kind of parallelism with hell. But those who are creeping in the church, who do not bear fruit, who are not connected to Jesus, who are not connected to the vine, uh, well, if after enough period of time, it's now late autumn, and they haven't produced any fruit whatsoever, it's then declared dead. So it's a lifeless tree. It's a dead tree, not a you know living tree. And then after it's declared dead, you know, the judgment, you say, then it is taken up, cut off, broken apart, and used as firewood. So, again, this analogy really sticks <laughs> sticks home, you know. So, that, you know, what Jude is saying here. Twice dead, uprooted. And then he says, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Uh, yeah, so... The lives of the ungodly resemble raging tides that litter the shore with refuse or seas that are so, um, you know, impossible to navigate. So th this chaos, um, you know, when we get through um, Genesis, and this is a common theme in this Bible, in the Bible between chaos and order and sea being chaos, like, you know, Genesis um, one, the sea, you know, the, the chaos, God hovering, spirit of God hovering over the chaos, over the sea, and he speaks life, right? And so this kind of chaos motif of, you know, the, this this tree, this wild waves of the sea, right? It's just chaos. There's no life there. This is, this is not order. This is not God's designated plan, right? This is just people that are, are, are chaotic, they're, they're dead, they're, you know, they're casting up the foam of their own shame. They're not aligned with God's order. So, again, another category, right? Another analogy to hit at home. And then he says, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And so you see up in the sky and the stars, and you see that it's just dark, right? And so wandering stars traveling the void of deep, dark space this is, you know, this is the utter darkness. They're, they're, it's, that's reserved for them forever. And so this analogy to them. But what's also interesting is, uh, and so here's the thing. So wandering stars, the Greek word used here may be literally rendered as wonder. It could refer to planets, which in the ancient mindset uh, disappeared into blackness for no apparent reason. It may also reference shooting stars, which, again, we kind of get from the analogy there which appear for just a moment and then vanish. Likewise, the false teachers briefly provide light only to move into darkness, leading others astray. They mix truth, light with falsehood, darkness. Uh, and John, this is a common theme in John and in first and second John as well, this whole light and darkness uh, di dichotomy here. And so I love how it puts that as well, because you have this brief light, like, you know, false teachers are like shooting stars where they come out of, 
you know, the sky and you see the light and it's really bright for a moment. And then all of a sudden they're gone and they're into darkness and you never see them again. And that is what uh, false teachers are. They, they get a big following. They are really bright at first. They, they catch a crowd and uh, ultimately they don't have any root. They don't have any truth. They don't have any foundation and they just go stray further and further into deep darkness and into nothingness. And so, yeah, I mean, don't be a false teacher. Don't associate with false teachers. This is why, again, Jude is just really hitting this home of intend fight what whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes, fight for the faith. That was once for all to the saints. So that's about all I had here. Um, I know after those, it goes to the whole the Enoch prophecy, which we talked about and read from the book of Enoch last week. So that's what happens after that in verse 14. And then there's this call to persevere, uh, which, you know, I mentioned as well last week, a little bit in this, this, you know, remember, remember, beloved, that the predictions of the Apostle Lord Jesus Christ said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers. So, again, there is this end time thing. There are people that are causing divisions. There are people that are trying to lead you astray. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, it says, and waiting on the mercy of of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So you're going to face opposition in the world. You're going to face people perverting the grace of God in this sensuality, people that are creeping into the church that are not, you know, for you. And so this is, yeah, this is not, this is not good. The, you, you, your response is to fight for the true faith, the unperverted faith, and to keep yourself in the love of God, snatching others out of the fire by praying in the Holy Spirit, and by embodying what it means to be a Christian, right? Staying in the light and out of the darkness. So, yeah, I, I love that encouraging word from Jude, this kind of wake-up call, this urgent call for believers that, you know, we can't just let things happen, but we need to go fight for the true faith. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I have for you guys. Um, blessings, and, you know, I give you that that call of Jude to fight for what God has uh, delivered to us through like Hebrews one says through his son. Um, so yeah, it's such a powerful thing. And this comment here, go through this thought seems to challenge Calvin's perseverance of the saints doctrine. Uh, that might've been, I think this comment was old. So maybe you can clarify what exactly I said. That was in reference to that, but um, yeah, I think, the perseverance of the saints is is true, but I think that there are nuances to it that are not. That because Calvin was a determinist and I'm not a determinist, so yeah. But, you know, I, I think we have free will. I think free will is compatible with God's foreknowledge and his divine sovereignty. So um yeah, whereas Calvin, he saw those things as contradictory and saw everything in action was caused by God. And therefore, you know, he will he will accomplish, every, you know, his goal by causing everything else. So that was Calvin. But yeah, I'm not I'm not in that camp, per se. So maybe you can clarify that. But yeah, um, I'm basically done with Jude. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the Apocrypha. 
Uh, I'll stick around maybe a little bit longer if you guys have any personal requests for, for me uh, or on Jude. Um, you know, Seth will be joining us again next week. He's on vacation. I know he did a Facebook Live for you guys from Disney yesterday and, you know, letting you guys know it would just be me today. So this is probably the first and only episode that will just be one of us um, on here. You know, he was obviously did his Facebook Live thing alone yesterday and then, um, you know, I'm on here for our ninth episode. But... Uh, we'll be back together next week as usual and uh, and do, you know, episode 10 on Old Testament Apocrypha. I'm really excited. So, yeah. And if you guys have questions on books that are not included in the Bible, that is exactly what we're tackling with the Apocrypha. You know, why are certain books included in the Bible? Why are some not? So that'll be exciting to dig through the next couple of weeks. And like I said, if you guys have anything... For me, before I head out here, just let me know, comment, feel free, ask me some questions. Um, I don't mind at all. So I know we're just before an hour. I knew this would be a, kind of a shorter episode. Um, but, yeah, it'll probably be longer, you know, me and Seth. I guess it's kind of funny, you know, with, with both of us here, we run usually an episode of two hours. Um, and then, but I guess... Like, with just one of us, it kind of goes to an hour on an episode, which, you know, makes sense. Well, I'll wait just another minute here. Plug in my computer while I'm waiting for comments. If there's no comments, I'll just uh, head out. Oh, let's Seems as though my light has turned off here. There we go. All right. Well, I don't really see any comments coming in. Again, if you guys have any questions for me, it's kind of like a, a little bit of a Q&A, I guess, at the end, uh, since we have more time. Um, you know, since I kind of ended kind of early than our episodes usually uh, end, so I'll, uh, I'll leave it there. Let me see. All right, great topic. Thanks for sharing. Uh, yeah, no problem. I <laughs> from my my wife there. Yes, uh, Jude. I love Jude. Well, there's there's my light again. All right. Okay, well, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the uh, part one and part two of the book of Jude. You know, it's, it's not a big book, not, you know, a big amount of things to tackle here. But it's definitely a, you know, one of those hard-hitting books where it's just like tells you how it is. And there you go. Just be encouraged and fight for the faith. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a warning, too, for the church. So, just keep Jude in mind as you're going through your day-to-day, -day and uh, we'll tackle other books in the future. I'm really excited for our other Bible series, so it's cool that Jude was the first one, um, but there's going to be other books of the Bible that we go through a little bit slower, kind of verse by verse, and, and digging through some of the things, the history, the context, uh, including Genesis and Exodus. I, I don't know when exactly we'll start those because those are such big books and big topics, and so once we started, it's like, it's full, full steam ahead, train running. So, um, yeah, if you guys 
you know, have any other books of the Bible that you might want us to, to touch on or to go through, um, let us know. So, you know, we can maybe tackle those books or our future Bible series, uh, especially if they're smaller, maybe even before the other ones. So, uh, yeah, just let us know there. Genesis, yes. Genesis is, is uh, the big one that we've been planning for a while, one of my favorite books. So we'll tackle that one verse by verse chapter by chapter, uh, you know, in the coming months. So I'm excited. All right. Well, I guess that's all. So I will see you guys later. Blessings. Um, it'll be both me and Seth next week. So um, yeah. we'll see you then when we talk about the Apocrypha. Good night, guys. Oh,